Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to Inside Strategic Coach with Dan Sullivan. Dan, you got a really fabulous compliment from one of our amazing clients, Steve Krein, who talked about how valuable being in coach, in strategic coach program has been as he's raising his three daughters. As a parent, I find that I can guess what he means because I feel the same way. The fact that I know about unique ability when raising my kids has been such an incredible gift, if nothing else. And there's a lot. If nothing else, I feel very appreciative of that. Because he said that the lessons in coach were parlayed perfectly into parenthood. And it's not just about business success. So let's dive into that because people think Patricia Coach is a program for entrepreneurs, for business owners. And people think, okay, I'm going to get my business life sorted. But in fact, it goes far, far, far beyond that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, coaches based on expanding for personal freedoms, you know, freedom of time. So you can explain to your children, you know, that one of your skills you've really got to develop is how to use your time in a creative, productive and profitable way. You know, and you can give them examples from your own entrepreneurial history of how you've grown in your great use of time, including the fact that you have a lot of time for them where most people who work for corporations or work in government don't have time for their children. So right off the bat, the biggest thing I notice is that when entrepreneurs are running into obstacles in their business, It's almost never for business reasons. It has to do with the fact that they're not handling their personal life in a way that really tells the people in their personal life that they're important. I have to tell you, nothing tells someone else that you're important than the amount of time and attention that you give to them. That's what really tells you. And Steve, right from the beginning with Rebecca, his great, great partner in life, established that when they had children, the children were going to have a lot of time and attention by both of their parents, Mm -hmm. you know, so that right off the bat, the four freedoms, well, coach shows you how to have a lot of personal time away from work. And as a matter of fact, you can't become more productive unless you start taking more time away from work. Well, that's really interesting, Dan, because most people think that the stereotype of entrepreneurs is they start super early in the morning and they end super late at night. And at least with their first family, their kids never saw them, you know, and then they move on to a second family because that's not very tolerable. And then finally, two or three families and they finally figure out how to get freedom of time. But you actually help to dramatically disrupt that and make sure that people have freedom of time for their families from the get-go. And that's a freedom that most entrepreneurs have no idea how to actually get. Yeah. And we, you know, really instill that in our own company culture because right from the earliest days, Babs and I had a set number of free days every year and it's 155. So it takes in some weekends, it takes in, you know, vacations and everything. And we don't work on weekends. So there's 104 days right there, you know, and then we take our free days. So it adds up to 155. And that goes right into the schedule at the beginning of the year. Then 155, if you subtract it from 365, there's 210 days that are available for work. And every year, the goal is with the 210 work days 
the revenues are bigger, the profits are better, the growth of the program, the growth of the team is better, but you only have 210 days to do that. And of the 210, you want the biggest portion of them, you want devoted actually to activities that directly bring in money and directly Mm -hmm. expand the awareness of coach through marketing and sales out into the world. So 155 is off the schedule on January 1st. You can't use those 155 days. And we're building this into the new book that Ben Hardy is writing for us, but we're serving as sources of information for him as he writes the book. And it was so striking that that's the first thing that goes into the schedule every year. And it's been that way for 30 years. So Mm -hmm. for the last 30 years, but the amount of time our team gets, if they take advantage, you know, we don't ask our team to work on weekends. If they have to work on a weekend day, they get a a work day for compensation that they can have as a free day. So they get that. I would say the total number, if you count public holidays, weekends, and the amount of actual free days that they get, plus we give three community days, is 146 days. Okay, so Babs and I take nine more free days per year than everybody else in the company. Uh But everybody Uh else in the company, if they're smart about it, they get 146 days. Yeah. The reason is... We're not doing that as payment. We're not doing that as compensation. It's just that we want them to be fresh and to not be tired out or fatigued by their work. And if they have that amount of free days, they get out and live their whole life and they get to come back and they're excited to come back to work. You know, they're they're excited to see each other. We expect them you know, at five o'clock in the afternoon that they can go home for the evening or we have to look at the work that they're not doing it as fast as it can be done or there's more work than can be done by one person. So we have to expand it and bring other people in. But everybody should be able to work from nine to five and have their weekends free and then get all their holidays and get everything else and not be thinking about work when they're with their families and They should be out enjoying themselves. So I think that that lesson of time is really the biggest influence that you can have on your children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most of our clients, COVID, no COVID, there was nothing different as far as their family's experience of the entrepreneur, you know. Yeah. Their entrepreneurial parent, male or female, was always around. I mean, everybody said, wow, finally, Kids got to spend time with their parents. Well, if you're in coach, the first year goal when you're in coach is to start taking free days. Uh That, I think, is a fundamental lesson. I mean, you have, you know, Madison and Charlotte, and I'm sure they've had total availability to both of you ever since they were born. (laughs) A lot of it. And I really enjoyed taking them on trips with me and traveling all over the place. I mean, have children will travel was a bit my motto. And Dan, I hadn't actually compared them to yours, which is kind of funny, but there's 104 days of weekends, 52 weeks times two days per weekend, plus 10 statutory holidays in Canada, at least, plus six weeks. So six times five is 30. That's immediately 144 days, plus the two to three, what we call silver bullet days for charitable. So yeah, it can so actually- it's 147. 
well, actually 147, which is a lot of time. So it's expected that when you're free, you're free. I read all this stuff all the time, you know, like, oh, how important it is to take time away. And there's actually a new law in Ontario, if not Canada, about what you expect for people out of working hours. And I kind of look at it and go, what's the problem? Because that's our mindset and that's our culture is we want people to have great lives and to be rejuvenated and creative and productive when they are working. So that those two things are not in competition with one another, which was how most people experience. So that whole idea about setting yourself up to be creative and productive and ambitious is another part of it is very exciting. Is that the biggest benefit, Dan, of the four freedoms in terms of the lessons that Steve was talking about that work so well for parenting? No, because I think that the other three freedoms, you can have freedom of time if you're not expanding the other three freedoms. And the second one is money, making money. And on average, we did a survey that got roughly 80% of the client base. It was voluntary. It was anonymous. So we didn't have names. We just had numbers. And it turns out that when we did the survey, it was about 2,600 business owners. And on average, they made $2 million of personal money take home a year. It was like 2 million. Okay. Some of them were in the tens of millions and some of them were, you know, but all of them made more than 200000 because you can't even get into the program unless you're making 200000 personal income. And that whole point that money is not fixed by someone else telling you how much money you're going to receive, okay? The whole notion of a salary or anything, if you're the child of a strategic coach entrepreneur, the money just keeps getting bigger. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, money is not even talked about because there's always more than enough. Mm-hmm. And I notice that because I'm the only entrepreneur in my actual birth family. You know, I had six siblings and none of them were entrepreneurs. So it's kind of interesting because little gossips have dropped, you know, through my, <laughs> through the cracks into my life about how, you know, Dan just works all the time. Well, actually, I work less than they do, Uh okay, when they were working. Now they're all retired, and all Dan cares about is money. But actually, Dan never talks about money. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with anyone about money as it related to me or related to Babs. And my goal is to always have enough money so that you don't have to talk about it. That's my goal for my my, They said, what's your goal for money? I mean, how much do you want to make? I said, I just want to have enough that I never have to talk about it. And the other thing is that anything I want to do in my life, money is never a consideration. The money's there to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that really has a huge impact on children. Yeah. Okay. But what I noticed about our entrepreneurs the ones who are really plugged in and it's becoming more and more of a trend is that the money is not free. Mm. So most of them don't give allowances. Most of them don't give allowances to their kids. And they say, so, you know, there's a lot of things to be done around the home here and we're going to pay somebody. And the other thing is that we encourage our entrepreneurs in their personal life to pay other people to do a lot of I mean, things you really like doing, if you like woodworking, by all means, you know, create a great shop for yourself and, you know, make things and everything else. 
And if you like cleaning up and you like tidying up, by all means do it. But if you don't like it, pay somebody else to do it. Yeah. And I think yeah. they get the idea that the unique ability concept, and this is really the center of it, and it has a lot to do with the emphasis that you put on your children about grades in school, and they have to do this, and they have to do this, and they have to do this. And I find that as entrepreneurs in their program go along, they say, well, the school's going to require certain things of you, and if you have any plans for going to college, then there's certain marks that you're going to have to get. There's going to be certain tests that you have to get and your choice. Yeah, I mean, your choice if you want to do it. And there's some benefits to going to college, but there's also benefits, especially in the world that we're living in right now. An 18-year-old who goes to a six-week welding course and becomes an apprentice welder at the end of the first year, I'll be making $60,000 right now. While a kid who go to college isn't making anything. And by the time the kid that goes to college has put four years into it, the welder is making over $100,000 a year. And the student hasn't made anything during the four years. You know, I mean, maybe they've made money to pay for their living expenses and everything, but they don't have anything saved up. And they've incurred a lot of debt, most likely. In some cases, in some cases, that's true. So we're at that great divide. And I think this is one of the things that's creating a lot of anxiety in the world. It was more or less taken for granted. I would say up until the 2008, 2009 economic downturn, the economic mm-hmm. downturn, which was worldwide caused basically by the <laughs> the dodgy real estate market that was true in the United States. It was just our guaranteed you could spend any amount of money and go into any amount of debt for a college education because the earnings that you made afterwards would, it was like a mortgage, you know, it was like a mortgage because the value of the house would always go up. And your college Education was like a mortgage on a asset that would continue to go way beyond the scope of whatever you had paid or whatever you borrowed to get into college, and it worked out. And that stopped being true in around 2009. Right. You know, and all of a sudden there was a disconnect between education and the life after education. There was a disconnect. Yep. Your college degree didn't guarantee you anything in the future. I mean, there's some things, you know, certain colleges and universities and, you know, they go into investment banking or, but they're the exceptions to the rule that most people who get a college degree, its value is that that blank space on your wall, you can frame it and you can put it on that blank space, you know, and (laughs) you don't have that blank space anymore, but out in the world, there's no guarantee that it has any value whatsoever. Mm-hmm. We're noticing like big corporations like Google who require a lot of brain power, they don't require a college degree. No, and, and I really like their approach because they've got 
essentially Google University where you can take all the courses and credits that you want so you can customize it. I mean, there really is an end. You talked about this even in our last podcast in terms of how education is shaping people. It's becoming the old structure. Education, no knowledge and learning is still absolutely vitally important. Yeah, yeah. But how it happens in the old education system is morphing and needs to change in order to be relevant for current needs. And now large companies like Google who need super smart people are actually putting forth the very specific things that they need. And then people can basically credit themselves and then be super useful and get great jobs. Yeah, I think that there is no single approach and there was a single approach before 2008 and that single approach it depends upon the corporation it depends upon the skill area and i think we're back into the world of the more knowledge and skill that young people acquire in their childhood and their adolescence the better off they're going to be when they get into their 20s and 30s and some of it may have to do with the educational system but less and less what we normally consider going to college uh-huh. and that there's a scarcity of people with real hands-on skills yes. that right off the bat, they get rewarded way beyond skilled trades used to get. So the biggest jump in value in the marketplace is the young person who has skilled trades in something, electricians, plumbers, everything. Mechanics. Mm -hmm. But they actually can make things. They're actually part of making things because we're going back to a manufacturing stage in North America. And that would be, you know, Canada, United States and Mexico, where the making of things is where the money is. I love this transition, Dan. There are a couple of trends that I see too. So one is being able to physically use your hands and make things. And we saw this during lockdown. You actually pointed it out that some of the most useful people to us were not people in some bureaucratic office somewhere. Truckers. It was truckers. <laughs> people who got us the stuff and who made the stuff and who shipped the stuff. And that's what we found so useful. And then you've got the whole digital economy where people who are creative and can do design and imagery and education online. And have creative ideas for shows and everything like that. Yeah, it's not where it used to be, which is, I think, fun and fascinating. But for those of us but who are that's parents, a skilled trade. That's a skilled trade. Programming's a skilled trade. All the things related to digital marketing are skilled trades. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing how to do Zoom presentations. You know, Dean Jackson really highlights a person who's now maybe about 25, who is from North Carolina. I forget what his actual name is, but he goes by the name of Mr. Beast. Right. And Mr. Beast has figured out how to create a very, very huge YouTube audience with just doing interesting activities. And then it went to subscription and he has part of it that's just free YouTube. And part of it is special presentations. And then he started creating his favorite hamburger restaurant menu and put it out to, I think it's up to about 2,500 restaurants now that he's created a complete menu and we'll give you this menu. But first of all, you have to show us that your restaurant meets these standards. You have to show us pictures of your restaurant. There's certain equipment you have to have. And then we have to see your financials to see that you're actually 
profitable just the way you're doing it. And then we'll add on this menu and what you get for signing on to our deal is that in your neighborhood, there are 50,000 people that if we said so, they'd come to your restaurant. Mm. You have to have delivery service and everything else. And he created, I think, on the first day, 300 new restaurants, and he's up to a couple of thousand right now. He was making nothing at 16, and he's making hundreds of millions of dollars at 25. Yeah, his name is Jimmy Donaldson, and he was born in 1998. (laughs) Yeah, so in 1998, so he's 24. 24. 24 years old, yeah, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So what's happening is... There's a portion of the young population in their child, you know, under 10, in the teens, in the 20s, who have developed really useful skills and capabilities that the world values, and they're out being an entrepreneur, and they're just bypassing all the kids who are studying to pass their SATs and their ACTs to go to university and learn something that has no predictable value when they graduate. I like that comment, Dan, no predictable value. So it used to be predictable. And certainly no guaranteed value. Right. And parents who may have had that guarantee as they were growing up, although they're probably not entrepreneurs, just saying. And this is great. And you actually talked about this before, is that taking what could be an obstacle and turning it into an advantage. And the more people are alert to the changes and they can be, oh, okay, it used to be this, now it's that. How can I personally take advantage of that as opposed to feeling like a victim? Then there's enormous power there. And that really is an entrepreneurial mindset to my way of thinking. Yeah. And just a couple of strategic coach clients, as far as the education of children go, Gino Wickman, who's a 25-year strategic coach client, and he created a wonderful worldwide system called the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which, you know, our leadership team, we use the EOS system, wonderful system. Mm -hmm. And we have a collaboration, which as far as I'm concern goes decades into the future where they recommend that their entrepreneurs who are in their system and the coaches that they have, that they come to Strategic Coach for their entrepreneurial owner training of being an owner in the thing. And we recommend to all of our entrepreneurial owners in the program that they adopt the EOS system. Well, Gino built this system and, you know, he sold a lot of it, but he keeps a share in it. Then he went after young people and has created, one of them is called The Entrepreneurial Leap, a great book. Mm -hmm. We highly recommend it. Gino Wickman, we recommend his book. And it's just that children can take a test for themselves to understand whether they really have the instinct, they have the mindsets, and they have the ambitions to actually be an entrepreneur. Uh-huh. Okay? And uh-huh. they can take this when they're 15, 16 years old. I think it's a wonderful book. And this is his real passion. This is Gino's real passion. So we totally support it. And then two other of our entrepreneurs, Scott Donaldson and Chad Willardson, have created this amazing online program, which is called Gravy Stack. And it teaches in game form a hundred economic, at least a hundred, you know, I think to start with, they're going to have a hundred economic strategies that children in their teens can learn 
about how the economic world works and how they can already start making money when they're teenagers. And so we highly recommend this. I know it's just about to be launched, but we will certainly, you and I should have Gino on as uh, Inside Strategic Coach guest where he can explain his vision. Uh And then we should have Scott and Chad on and we take them through. And they're just bypassing the entire educational system. They're just saying, We'll just educate them on how money works, how the economy works, how they can right now start becoming knowledgeable and skillful in economic matters as soon as you can do the games on Gravy Stack. So, yeah. And Chad also wrote a wonderful book for parents about kids called Smart Not Spoiled. And we've had him on to talk about that in our Inside Strategic Coach. And just the amount of wisdom that the two of them bring to, it's bringing everything together. It's education, it's entrepreneurship, it's gamification, it's money, it's financial literacy. It's like all the things. The cool byproduct of this, Dan, that I see is that parents are going to get educated Because one of the insights is that sometimes parents don't actually know how all of this stuff works. I mean, entrepreneurs do, but in the gravy stacks, hopefully much bigger than that. But it's amazing how many assumptions people have about parents. And truthfully, most of us have gaps where we could get better. And I think gravy stacks can have a great impact on the kids, but also on the families because of just the increase in capability out of that. Yeah. So I think what's happened where the educational system was the great filter that you had to go through Mm -hmm. to be successful on the other side of it, it's faulty. And in some instances, it's totally counterproductive. Uh, Children will not develop the right attitudes about the world. They'll develop the wrong attitudes about the world. They'll develop wrong behavior about what it takes, because when have teachers ever been out in the world? You know, I mean, You take a teacher who's 50 years old, they've been in school since they were five years old. They've never been anywhere except in school, Mm -hmm. and they know zero about the world. So my feeling is that the whole place of the educational system, which I think was geared for an age where your life after schooling was totally predictable for the rest of your life, there's no predictability anymore, Mm -hmm. and they can neither make predictions nor can they give any guarantees that the money spent on a children's education is going to have any value after they're 25 years old. I like this, Dan, because then the question comes to mind, which is probably the subject for another podcast, is what does an education system look like for an unpredictable future as opposed to a predictable one? So the last one, and we've both studied people who said, you know, basically the goal was to provide people to work in factories. That's what the school system did. You know, and your educators taught you that and they were correct. But now it's a much more entrepreneurial world. And what's the education system look like for that? And I like it because the parents in Strategic Coach, as we've talked about with Steve, understand the freedom of time, understand the freedom of money and the fact that you need freedom of time actually to make more money, which is a very cool, somewhat paradoxical thought. And then the last two freedoms are freedom of relationship and freedom of purpose. So let's talk a little bit more about those in terms of how that impacts parenting. Yeah, well, the big thing is so much of the direction of your life, so much of the successful outcomes of your life has to do with who you hang out with. Mm. You know, who you hang out with in life, okay? I think that what entrepreneurial parents have is a much better developed 
of what constitutes healthy, productive relationships. Mm -hmm. And they do that in terms of the kind of people that they have as clients and customers, in terms of the people who are members of their teams. You know, we don't call them employees, we call them team members. The other thing is just who socially you hang out with, okay? I have to say, after 48 years of coaching entrepreneurs, you know, people say, well, this is how people in the non-entrepreneurial world look at things. And I said, I have to confess here, I'm completely ignorant <laughs> of how people who are not in the entrepreneurial world think, because it's a rare occasion when I meet anyone who's not in the entrepreneurial world. Mm -hmm. They're either the entrepreneur, they're family members of the entrepreneur, mm -hmm. they're children of the entrepreneur. But I live in a total entrepreneurial world, and you've got to have get up and go. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have gas in your tank. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, what, what about EVs? No, you have to have gas to make the electricity that's in your tank. You know, <laughs> I'm so struck sometimes when I hear someone say, well, how can you just take time when you want to? I only get three weeks a year in my job. And I said, job, 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 job. Isn't there a character in the Old Testament called job? Uh, I mean, job, you know, what's a job, you know? And I noticed that the greatest of our team members inside Strategic Coach almost never use the word job about what they're doing. They have a role, they have collaboration, they have cooperation, they have the team that they're on, they have the projects that work. I never hear them talking about their job, you know. Uh -huh. And I would say that's a really good thing for children to learn yeah. that if you're thinking that what you're doing out in adult life is a job, you didn't learn the right skills. Uh -huh. Yeah. You didn't learn the right attitudes, you know. Job, 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 job. I don't know a job. So, and then that you're with people who are excited about their work. You know, they're excited about their work. They're excited about the life they're living and everything else. And that's the freedom of relationship, you know. Steve Krein, who I talk to a lot out of friendship, but also he's in a lot of my workshops and we have a podcast, The Free Zone Frontier, which is one of my many podcasts. And with Steve, he noticed right around 13 or 14, which is a very vulnerable stage for teenagers, they have family roles that they put together, you know, the family mm -hmm. roles. Mm -hmm. And they almost always have dinner. They almost have dinner every night, you know, and they're off to college now. So he's got one off to college and the second one will be off to college next year. And he said that starting around 13 or 14, their daughters would come back to them and say, we're so happy that we get to meet and talk about things as a family because my schoolmates, they're really screwed up. Mm -hmm. They're really screwed up. And he said that they developed that consciousness that school didn't teach you really great things, ways to think about the world. And a lot of their classmates, they just had the wrong mindsets and wrong attitudes. And that's a way that being an entrepreneur and then being an entrepreneur and strategic coach, I think you're really creating a very, very positive and very, very hopeful and very, very creative 
environment in which people, when they're going through their teenage years, you probably got more sheer complexity in your life between ages, let's say, 12 and 18 than any other six-year period of your life. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Having two girls. And I'm quite frankly, I think girls have it worse than boys. From what I've seen, yes, that would be 100% true. Yeah, I think teenage girls are tougher on each other mm -hmm. than teenage boys. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, teenage boys, it's bullies, but they last a year, they last two years. The bullies in girls' life last a lifetime. Well, I actually told both my girls, it's like, hey, make friends with boys, friends. I wasn't totally interested in boyfriends at that moment because they're simpler, they're more straightforward, they'll give you the straight goods. And so both of my girls have strong male friends because having been a girl, having been in that, been subject to that, I mean, women become fabulous later on, but in those ages, not so much. Very competitive, very status-oriented. Well, not only that, you have fights. I had a lot of fights when I was going through school. Uh, you know, I was a farm kid and I, you know, probably by 20, I'd been in 25 fights. But the one thing about fights with boys is they're over. You have the fight and it's over. Uh -huh. And the truth is, it wasn't that you won or lost, you showed up. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, even if you got your clock cleaned, you showed up. You weren't friends with them afterwards, but there was this kind of respect right. that you had enough guts to show up, uh -huh. you know, and everything else. And I've been to high school class reunions 25 years after graduating from high school where the men were all chummy with each other, you know, and the cliques and the pecking orders among the women was still there 25 years later. In the female world, the fights are never over. True story. <laughs> so yeah. just an observation, not being one myself. Yes. There's a finality about, you know, I mean, hopefully there's not knives and guns, you know, involved in everything. But I have to tell you, social media is the most lethal weapon that teenagers can acquire. Yeah, and it can be used for good or for ill. Dan, the last freedom just to touch on before we wrap up is freedom of purpose. And we've touched on unique ability, and I think... Truly, as a parent, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is almost the greatest gift, along with time and money and great relationships, is just being aware that there is something unique about each person and to expand that and make that as your contribution to the world. Touch on freedom of purpose, because I, again, for me, this is almost the most meaningful one. Yeah, and this is really interesting, and I can only use my own relationship with my parents as a basis here because I've not had children. I didn't have children from my first marriage, and Babs and I don't have children. But we both grew up in big families, both of us, and we're late children, so we had a lot of elders. Uh -huh. You know, we had older siblings. I had four, and Babs had three. But the one thing is that right from the beginning, my mother and my father took me everywhere with them, and they talked to me a lot, not about what I was doing, but what they were doing and what they had done when they were my age. This was the 19-teens, so they were born in 1910, so they were growing up in the teens and 20s. And the thing that I found really, really interesting about that was 
their whole attitude about school, you know. My mother told me at six when I, I really hated school. I just hated being cooped up in a desk in a room. And she said, the biggest reason you're going to school is so you can learn how to read. Because when you know how to read, you can go anywhere you want with your mind. And you have to go to school. You have to go to school. Okay. I got good grades. I mean, but there was no emphasis on grades. First of all, grades didn't really matter as far as going to college. You know, I graduated in 1962. And you couldn't have failed in high school. You know, you couldn't have C's and D's and F's. You know, I mean, you had to have fairly good grades. But there was no test. There was no SAT. There was no ACT test. And the way you went to college is you wrote the college a check. There was nothing to it. But I remember once, very seldom I'd get a C on anything. And I brought a report card home. And I, I don't know what was on, but it was a C. And my mother's response was to it, well, I guess you're not interested in that. And I said, yeah, that's true. I'm not interested. So, so what? She says, you get A's in the things that you're interested in. So who cares, you know, and everything like that. And I think that the lighter the touch that parents have regarding other systems grading their children, they should say, well, you know, you have to go through processes and you get grades and everything else. But it really doesn't matter that much. What really matters is what you really love doing and that you learn the skills for what you really love doing that can make money for you. And so then you can become independent in pursuing what you really love doing. And there's all sorts of tests we have now that kind of show what you like. These are not from your school system, but like Colby and Strength Finder and Print. And we'll just talk about it a lot, about what you really like doing, why you like this, why you like that. You're lucky because you're born into an age where you have more freedom to actually create a business. That's what your father has done. That's what we've done. And you can build a business where people will pay you a lot of money so that you can do what you love doing. And this is a unique age that we're living in. You can only do that if you're an entrepreneur. You can't do that if you go work for a corporation or for the government or any other big kind of bureaucracy. And just to have that discussion with them very, very early that there's a fork in the road and most kids are going to take the other road, but they can take a unique road. And we're, we're the examples. Uh, the parents are the examples of what you can do when you take your own road. The other thing, just to wrap up, Dan, I love about this is that when you are personally taking advantage of the four freedoms, you set the bar for entrepreneurship to be a really good thing. If you're an entrepreneur who is working all the time, never sees their family, it always feels short in terms of money, doesn't have great relationships, you're not going to be a great model as an entrepreneur. So an entrepreneur taking advantage and making great use of the four freedoms, as you talk about, as we 100% focus on a strategic coach, then your kids are got to see you in a whole new light. You're lying about being independent, financially independent to pursue what it is that you love to do, what you love doing. What a phenomenal gift to give your child. Mm -hmm. That's coaching that I love. And I know that Steve did too. So Dan, thank you for expounding on how all of this affects our personal lives, particularly our parenting, in addition to our awesome professional lives. Thanks very much. <laughs> I was a cartoon or something, or it might've been Mark Twain or 
somebody and he was asked, you know, what's the best way to impact the world, to change the world? And he says, I only got one formula for that. Make a lot of money and look like you're having a good time doing it. He says that that influences people around you more than anything else. Make a lot of money and look like you're having a good time doing it. Oh, truer words, Dan. I love that. Thank you, Shannon. (laughs) What a great place to end. Thank you. Thank you.